one that's quite resilient Fight with wit and write this real shit Volatility Low civility, don't let vulnerability Lower your agility This moment is pivotal Crucial, critical, our opponent is intentional Brutally criminal To be truthful, our response has been useful And pitiful Community defense happens when we control the city To open Hello, welcome back to Concrete Milkshake, the Pop Mob podcast. I'm Effie Baum, one of the hosts and a longtime member of Pop Mob as our spokesperson since the beginning. And we're doing something a little different this time. Our next several episodes, we are very excited to share with you all, include interviews with a lot of local activists and some national journalists, all of whom have one thing in common, which is that they have been targeted by the menace that is Andy No. We have some great conversations about the ethics of journalism and the human impact that his campaigns of hate have had on so many different people, especially personally coming at this as somebody who has also been targeted and an organization that's been targeted by him as well. This was something that we felt was really important to talk about. It's not going to be a personal profile on Andy No. For that, you can check out the Behind the Bastards episode, which does a great job at that. But instead, we've got some really great conversations set up that we are very excited to share with you. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of being joined by Kim Kelly. Kim is a freelance journalist and community organizer. She's also a prolific writer with bylines in The New Republic, Washington Post, Vice, The Baffler, and my personal favorite, Teen Vogue, and many (laughs) other publications. She focuses on intersectional labor organizing, which is the subject of her upcoming book, Fight Like Hell. You can follow her on Twitter at Grim Kim. Kim, we are so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here, quote unquote, here. (laughs) (laughs) So, what first got you interested in journalism? Can you tell us the secret of how you managed to write a bajillion amazing articles a week? <laughs> uh, fear and spite is my prime, <laughs> my primary motivator. Uh, now that's, <laughs> now I mean, at least in terms of getting into this whole, uh, this whole thing as like a career path, it's still, it is very funny to think of myself as a journalist because I still don't really think of myself in that way. I think of myself as a writer. And I've always mm-hmm. been a writer since I was little. Like mm-hmm. I was like a weird little kid who was always reading books in the playground and writing very bad poetry. And <laughs> <then> <laughs> when I was we were in the same school, kid. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's a lot of us out there. Uh-huh. And then, but I've been um, like a, a music critic, music journalist, whatever, for the majority of my career slash life, except in you know the past three to four years, I've kind of made a hard pivot in a different direction. So I've, I mean, I've always been interested in stories and in other people's lives and in seeing what, just what the world has to offer. Cause I grew up in a very small, very rural, very isolated environment. So I was always trying to find out what else is out there. And so I guess that kind of curiosity has always driven what I do. And in terms of my, my productivity, I was like half joking when I said fear and spite. Oh, a lot of it is just because <laughs> i I like what I do and there are so many stories out there and I can only cover a fraction of them that I feel like I have to do as much as I can to get to as many as I can. And I also just write really fast. So, (laughs) and I'm a freelancer. So like every, like every story I write is like X amount of money. And like in order Mm -hmm. to survive under the current system, I need Mm -hmm. it. So it's like, (laughs) yeah, I'm very, I'm very like hunter gatherer vibes about it like <laughs> this constant hustle like oh I, we need groceries like all right i guess i gotta think of something oh god <laughs> <Brutal>. <laughs> 
Well, even even it. on my busy weeks, Kim, I see everything that you're working on, and I feel unproductive. So, <laughs> just no. like we're 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 all in awe of your output and like how how prolific you are. This is how I organize my brain. Like I've just absorbed so much toxic capitalist Kool Aid, where my brain is like, "We're not doing anything productive. This is bad. We should do a thing." And so I go and do a thing. And the more things I do, the less I have to like think about how terrible the world is or like things that are upset like it's it's a weird fucked up kind of self-care i guess I, which is yeah, yeah. i know I the feeling I was, I was having a rough time until like i kind of started getting going on this project with folks and it's just like it's good to be busy and to have stuff going on for yeah, sure yeah it's not you know it's not the right approach for everybody but for the way my brain is structured it's it's just like that serotonin lights up as soon as i have yep. something to do yeah i know exactly what you mean <laughs> I work an insane amount of hours and still manage to find time around to do other things. So it's, I would, I don't know what I would do if I had free time. I would go crazy. Free time. Go, I mean, yeah. you know, my, one of, my motto is no rest for the wicked. Yes. I say that all the time, actually. Um, <laughs> so uh, can you talk a little bit about, so one of the things we have talked about in some of our interviews is about this difference between like journalism as neutral and journalists who try to be like, quote-unquote objective which Mm. at times is complete ridiculous bullshit when you're comparing apples and oranges in an effort to be objective so can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be an unapologetic community organizer with like outspoken politics kind of in the realm of quote-unquote objective journalism right well objective journalism is fake that's right. not real. And like, <laughs> object, objectivity is this bizarre construct made up by like the white dudes who are in charge of most of the newsrooms in this country mm-hmm. who think that, you know, looking at anything through any lens that doesn't reflect their own worldview is somehow biased or skewed. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I never went to journalism school. So and I, I mean, I didn't actually even finish college. So I feel like I missed out on a lot of that indoctrination and, and that well, indoctrination slash like that education, like the the thought of being like being neutral, showing every side, like erasing all biases, like writing boring stuff, essentially mm-hmm. like that never really <laughs> like, uh, like kind of, I, I never really like internalized that, especially because I'm coming from the music industry in the world of music criticism. Like that's like, there's no, it's impossible to be objective about a piece of music because it's all subjective. The way you engage with art, mm-hmm. like that's not, mm-hmm you can't be objective about a symphony or a death metal record. Like you can try, but but you're full of shit if you try, you know? So I've never really had, like I came into writing about more political and labor oriented stuff. Just like, you know, that's my background. Like that's, that's who I am. I don't think I could flip a switch and turn into that ultra unbiased. Like we have to talk to every side, investigative journalist, professional kind of mode. Cause I just don't have it in me and I don't know how to do it. And I don't want to, and it's, so far, I haven't really had to because other people do that and they're good at it. And it seems real important and boring. And I want no part of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and this is why and, we love you. <laughs> I'm just, I have a lot of thoughts. I got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> and at this point, I think people are, well, not, not that everyone knows who I am. But I think the people that know my work or are interested in engaging with it kind of know where I'm coming from. And I think there is a value to that. Like, yeah, I'm not like a, God, who's a major, Dan Rather? I don't know. I'm, I'm not like that kind of journalist i'm not gonna like i don't i don't put journalism on a pedestal i think of it as a trade like we're mm-hmm. storytellers and we're helping other people to tell their own stories like 
that's where I think of myself as a writer. Like journalists, mm-hmm. I've always felt uncomfortable with the term because there is so much baggage attached to it. Like the objectivity being neutral. Like, like I said before, there's no such thing as objectivity because that's still whoever decided the definition of objectivity has is coming from a specific perspective and they have had a lived experience and they have a background. No one is objective because no one is the same. Mm-hmm. Like the like yeah. Edward Murrow does not have the same perspective as Tanahasi Coates. And like mm-hmm. it's just not it just doesn't line up yeah. like that. I think it's it's trying to fit a square peg into a round hole to pretend that there's no place for opinion or lived experience in the journalism field. Well, yeah, it's astonishing too because people like I, I don't know, the the same people who get sanctimonious about mm. those concepts are are still the people that are like choosing what they cover and what sources they use like the same people who are printing like police press releases and mm-hmm. just uncritically giving this platform and pretending like that doesn't represent a certain perspective or like the way that they've just written it you know what i mean it just seems right. like such a charade to you know just like intellectually dishonest you don't have to give the bosses perspective because who the fuck cares what they think mm-hmm. like every like with inherently adversarial relationships like so many people in positions of power have with the rest of us like why would you ever reach out to a cop for comment you know they're gonna <laughs> lie why yeah. wait why why waste the time good lord you only live once so like and i know that that is not something that someone who comes from that objective journalism tradition would be okay with mm-hmm. but i'm not ever i'm not i'm not saying i am you know like i think that there's I, a lot of different ways to be a writer i kind of i was gonna say i love the distinction you make between being a writer and not being a journalist i think that is a important nuance and and i think it's really accurate yeah, because there's a lot of weight. Like, I know you also speak to Talia on this show, who is a brilliant angel who I love. And she's, you know, and then she, she's not coming from up from that hard news perspective. She's coming at it. She's adding like arts criticism and religion and her own background and her own analyses. And that's why her work is so compelling. It's interesting because it's not just cut and dry. He, sh- he said, she said, they said. It's like it has some weight to it. And that's the kind of thing that I try to do. Like anybody can tell you, the f- like who what where when and like yeah that's important but i want to know why more than anything and that's yeah. harder to tease out if you're just gonna like cut and paste a press release or talk to some asshole who wants to <laughs> pre- who has an agenda uh, i could and go like, on but <laughs> no, I, I love it i think like talking about like you know telling stories and like the idea of narrative as opposed to just facts is is really what makes good writing anyway so you want people to read it yeah, I was like, gonna say that's actually what I would rather read. <laughs> like you want people want to read stories. People uh-huh. y- people use dry facts and figures and stuff like that for research or maybe to tell their own stories. But like, there's a lot of there. There's so much writing and so much journalism out there in the world. Like, if you want people to actually read what you have to say or what somebody else that you've spoken with had to say, you got to kind of give them something to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Like. Is anyone intentionally reading the Wall Street Journal for fun? No. No. Oh <laughs> my god. Okay. <laughs> so like that that that's a good tr- transition because like the contrasting 
those ideas of objectivity and neutrality, like something that I do think a lot about is around journalistic ethics. And this comes back to, to Andy No now. For someone who does pretend like, oh, I, I don't know, he, he made a, a big deal about being, oh, I'm registered, you know, independent, I'm nonpartisan, and <laughs> all of this garbage. And you just see his timeline as this like cesspool of arrest mugshot photos and yeah can you talk a little bit about like, the importance of journalistic ethics and how they inform your work and how propagandists like Annie know completely disregard him God, i mean he's just uh you know his entire uh, this is like the entire point of his his being at this point is to be like a propaganda machine for the far right and then to engage in stochastic terrorism like mm-hmm. journalism is a there are a lot of people who stretch the definition of journalist andy go is not in the fucking ballpark he what <laughs> yeah. andy go is the danger to our communities and provides kill lists of adam waffen that's what andy go is <laughs> i've been waiting for that to come up in one thank you for finally i'm still to- mad i'm still <laughs> mad i'm still alive but i'm still mad <laughs> damn it <laughs> but <laughs> to answer your your actual question um i think <laughs> I mean, here, here's the thing. If you're a journalist, like, I think you kind of owe it to hold yourself to a similar standard in a way that people in the medical profession do, like the do no harm principle. Like you're here to, unless you're out, you are an investigative journalist who's trying to expose corruption or abuse or expose terrible people doing terrible things. You have to think of the power imbalance that you have as someone who has a platform, as someone who has access to a, uh, you know, a type of media of exposure. Like if I write something, I, I mean, ethics, ethical questions are difficult and thorny because ethics are mm-hmm. difficult and thorny. And yes. it's interesting to think through this one, especially out loud, because it's like, I'm sure some, maybe, well, people on the right could argue like, oh, well, Kim only talks to people on the left who aren't racist. So that makes her biased and dangerous. And like, well, I mean, okay. But if you think about the the type of harm that is possible here and the type mm-hmm. of power imbalance and what people, what jur- the journalistic question is doing with that power imbalance. Like, are you using your platform to target vulnerable people who have no recourse, who are not, sa- who you are making less safe, who you are putting a target on their back? Or is there like, what is the, what is the point of what you're doing? Like we just saw with the EMT, uh, the EMT, the paramedic in New York, who was quote unquote outed as having an OnlyFans. She was just a person going about her goddamn day, making money in the ways that she felt like she needed to make money. And it's like, and that she became this whole international story just because people didn't like one of her jobs. Like oh what God. was the point of that? There's nothing ethical about that. So it's I haven't like, heard about yeah. this, but so she's an EMT, and people are mad that she has an OnlyFans on the side. Like that somehow affects her ability to respond to an emergency. Right. It's just you know the you know that just shows how deep seated like horophobia is and mm-hmm. classism, and I'm sure there was racism and misogyny involved. Like how dare she use her body to make money in a different way than she's using it as a paramedic? Like it's, mm-hmm. but it's like yeah, it's just that judgment of like oh well you're you're the kind of person who deserves to suffer and people deserve to know about this because you're bad. That's kind of the Andy go model. Like you deserve to suffer. And so I am going to do what I can to ensure that happens. I was going to say, sometimes I think like he has got to be the most deeply unhappy person. And we know he is, he's got to have so much self-loathing and hate to even be engaging in that 
sort of. I mean, stuff I've seen anyway. other other folks who have like researched his earlier posts on various social uh, uh-huh. like Reddit and stuff. Like I've read, like there's stuff out there oh, yeah. that shows that he's not he's not having a nice time, and he hasn't no. been happy for a long time. And like that, what that that's old chestnut hurt people hurt people like mm-hmm. yeah but like my dude why don't you just go to fucking therapy Seriously. instead of trying to ruin people's lives like no, it's probably real. cheaper but one oh, is yeah. more lucrative so yeah. yeah can you i just just so nobody like would accuse us of hyperbole because like that that phrase is used a lot i'm hoping that y'all can talk a little bit about the background there and why people actually why people say that and how he's not at all addressed the harm that he's caused and the fact that literal neo-Nazi domestic fucking terrorists have picked up everything that he puts out as like literally a, a, a list for, for abuse and violence. And I'm hoping that y'all can expand on that a little bit. Yeah. Like in the old, like the, the super bite-sized version, which and this all went down last summer, which was like my personal summer of hell. Cause I had this fucking guy, I had Tucker Carlson, everyone, all the bad people were mad at me for like a couple months straight. Um, and in the course of that, a big part of that was because, so, okay. So the, the origin of the, the Andy, Andy go kill list situation, essentially this debunked terrible, like fake researcher man. Uh, I think Owen <laughs> Lenahan, who went by prog dad online, which just tells mm-hmm. you how cool that guy is. He put together this ridiculous fake study about how like, anti-fi and journal and mainstream journalism are like in bed together and they're all radical leftists and it's all a big conspiracy blah blah, blah. you know general horseshit <laughs> but the and and had like he had made some weird little like data map of like different people's twitter accounts and saying like oh this person is connected to antifa because like they followed some uh like followed some twitter accounts because <laughs> god forbid a journalist who covers the far right would follow twitter accounts like and like uh, why, why would i not follow my friends first of all <laughs> that's just rude <laughs> i mean i'm just saying you know but <laughs> so like that was that was something that this this dickhead put together and then andy go reported on it uh well hard quotes are unreported he posted about it on uh oh god what's that bad blog it's the one with claire <laughs> the the terrible australian woman what was it called are you the, not gonna put colette are you uh wait what, which one like, i thought it was on colette maybe i feel like there have been so many he's like i keep wanting to say post-millennial but it wasn't him it wasn't that one it was on um Oh yeah, it was it was Quillette. My mistake. Yeah, I'm just meandering all over the place. Posted it on Quillette, and, pe- no, it, and we we care about the facts here on Concrete yes. Milkshake. Unlike some <laughs> I know. pseudo journalists, I, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I just googled real quick and found my essay about it that came up. I was like, okay, that's what it was. <laughs> okay, straight to the source. <laughs> yeah, and ended up on there. And obviously, lots of far right people who are bad read that website. And shortly thereafter, I can't remember if the space of weeks or months, time is a flat circle, who knows. But in that <laughs> same span, <laughs> you tell this is why I'm not an investigative journalist. Fucking, I don't know. Dates, facts. <laughs> facts I can do, dates, forget about it. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, within that span, I remember getting a message from from a friend alerting me to this video on uh, it's like on YouTube called Sunset the Media. And it was just this creepy ass video with photo like screenshots of a bunch of different journalists and yeah a bunch of journalists like myself included with like creepy ass music and creepy ass imagery and then like essentially it was it seemed like it was encouraging people to like murder us it had a uh 
yeah, that's the audio for I, th- well, I think it was James Mason. Like it was it was nasty. It was no good. Yeah. Was not a fan personally. And nobody else was either. But it was made by a person who had either we, we kind of figured out it was either he was a member of Adam Waffen or was a fanboy of Adam Waffen. Both are less than ideal. So essentially this is where like Adam Waffen kill list is is a little snappier than saying this person who was a, who was associated with or a big fan of Adam Waffen made this video montage of like here's some people to kill. <laughs> And mm-hmm. yeah, and it got taken down, and then it turned into a whole thing where Quillette were like, "That's not real." Well, no one showed it to us. I was like, "Why would we show it to you? You're Nazis." Turned into a whole <laughs> thing, and like, <laughs> there's obviously like there's more attached to the whole thing. That's like my yeah mm-hmm. semi jokey. Yeah. You gotta laugh to keep from crying. Kind of re- yeah. recollection of the whole thing. Yeah, but it uh, was nasty. Like yeah. On on that note, I like we we've been trying to keep these conversations light, but it just. I don't know, it gets me to my core, especially people who are targeted without support systems and the kind of Mm. um, resiliency that you have. And I'm just hoping that you can maybe like talk a little bit more about the human impact and the fear this type of stuff provokes and and what it was like um, going through that at the time. It sucked so much. I try to like, at this point, I try to kind of project an image of strength online because you can't show people that you're weak god forbid or that you're human because they'll just try to tear you apart even more but like that shit really for lack of a more uh you know eloquent way to put it that shit really fucked me up like that was terrifying because it's and it's you know i i am resilient and i'm used to this stuff which is depressing to think about in a broader term because i've been dealing with online harassment in various uh various guises for a very long time you know i've been in the heavy metal world for a very long time i was just gonna say i've been yeah yeah, i've been a lady like since the jump so that was always a problem and then (laughs) when i became more outwardly feminist and then more obviously leftist and then anarchist anti-fascist like that you know a wave upon wave of people hating me so i kind of got used to that and then I, it was only after, you know, what happened in Charlottesville that I guess I got tar- tagged as like, ooh, Antifa. So I started showing up in like creepy, like HN and Reddit stuff, like, you know, lists and doxing lists and like all this, all this stuff that happens to, to people, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't quite used to having, I was used to like metal Nazis hating me, but you can kind of write them <laughs> off in a way. But regular Nazis hating you hits different. Yeah. Um, and so when this happened, it was like, I'm, I'm used to people who, I mean, not all of them. Some people just don't like me. But I'm used to people who have terrible ideas uh, hating me and being mean to me on the internet and emailing me and targeting me, messaging me and making memes about me and doing all the stuff that comes with the territory. But Andy Go, Andy Go stuff was, uh, it was on a, a new level for me because it was really he. This man has what, like three hundred thousand followers. Oh, he I think had, it's like eight hundred thousand or something geez, now. Oh, sadly, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Right? He has a massive online platform. Like to that point, the worst, like the biggest mainstream uh, sort of you know, negative attention I got was like this Tucker Carlson segment on me. But like, who really watches TV anymore? It was like mm-hmm. angry, angry boomers aren't going to like tweet at me or try to dox me. But Andy <laughs> Goh's troll army is very online and they have mm-hmm. nothing else to do but to harass people on every possible platform. So it's like just seeing that happen and seeing that unfold in real time and seeing him keep doing it too. Like this man has been so mad at me so many times. Yeah. And like, it's just every time it's just, it just hits like, is this going to be the time that the wrong person sees it and something really bad happens? Like, is this going to be the time that it that ends up on, 
am I going to get a Trump tweet out of this? Like, like what is, what is the extent of the damage here? Like, is my, is my dad going to call me and be like, what's all this about you being a terrorist? Like, <laughs> or like, on, on like the worst possible scenarios, like, is someone going to find my address or like try to show up at my house or hurt me and my partner? Like, what is, how far does it go? Because we've seen how far it can go. And it's just, it just makes you very, um, it's very draining and it's very, dispir- like, it's dispiriting and it makes you really paranoid. Like yeah. a healthy sense of, you know, just because they're not after, uh, just because, you know, it was a Kurt Cobain lyric, just because they're not watching after you, whatever. You know what I mean? Like a, he- a healthy sense of distrust with the general world around you is fine, but like I'm real jumpy, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm, like you said, I have, like, I have a support network. I have people that care about me and that will get me to log off and are like, will have my back. And since I, I think I have, since I have this sort of, weird public persona that I've kind of acquired over the years. I think there is a measure of safety in that because there's more people that would be upset if something really bad happened to me and people who don't have that armor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got, it's just horrifying because you just feel like the world is crashing in on you and you can't escape because this yeah. person is just directing all this horrible hatred and danger towards you. It's like standing in front of a tsunami and just closing your eyes and holding your breath. Mm-hmm. Yikes. that is an image though yeah yeah it's and i'm i'm really lucky when it comes to this stuff because touch wood i've emerged fairly unscathed besides mentally like that's a god knows mm-hmm. that's a that's a jungle in there but like but other people have had so much worse happen to them mm-hmm. and it's it's hard not to feel like it's only a matter of time yeah which is yeah i know what you mean like i you know, we went through it with the whole milkshake thing and then Andy Doe doxed me in his lawsuit and mm. I have not luckily been uh, targeted as much by people personally, just as like the person who's like the face of Pop Mob. So it's Pop Mob that gets targeted, not me personally so much. Um, and it seems like most people didn't notice the Telegram docs that happened. So I got lucky, but that fear was still there because I had no idea how bad it was going to get. That's the thing. You never know if it's because sometimes he's tweeted about me before I haven't even known about it. I mean, I haven't blocked, obviously, but sometimes I'll have a friend be like, "Oh, he's, guess who's mad at you again?" And I'll look at it, and it'll have like thousands of likes and retweets and everything, but I won't have gotten a single mean tweet or like shitty mm-hmm. email. And like, so how much juice does this guy actually have? Right. I mean, I have I have like pretty tight security settings on everything, but like, I, I just I wonder like, is he just preaching to his choir of, of you know? jagoffs like are normal mm-hmm. people ignoring him now like what is this man's reach and i yeah. can't quite figure it out like how many of those followers are just following to watch the dumpster fire right like i mean 88 million people follow donald trump and you know they are not all fans like no. <laughs> and, it's, it's, yeah. and sometimes i just go through it like i look at what he's doing so i just sort of marvel at like how awful and terrible and cruel it all is Mm-hmm. And it's like you're literally just setting up people you're you're basically laying out people's lives and details just in front of your slavering pack of rabid dogs who hate them and everything they stand for and just kind of hoping that something fun happens you're hoping you'll get a new video you can tweet or like sell to fox news like mm. it's just repulsive and it's i think that he is so far gone that if somebody was directly lost their life because of something he did he wouldn't even care and he probably wouldn't even acknowledge it or no he would smear them is what he would do yeah Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it's, you know, there's a lot of people who are doing journalism and anti-fascist work specifically, but it is it is almost always women, folks of color, queer mm-hmm. folks, like, who who get the brunt of it. Like, the horrific things people have said about Talia as a Jewish woman, and y- y- it's oh, just... It's mm-hmm. yeah, it's really clear that, it, you know, it's not just even about the ideology, but the identity. Um, it's, yeah, it's about the human beings behind it. And if there's anything about you that they can pick up on, like I've had it easy because I'm like a cis white lady with long blonde hair. It's a little harder for them to immediately find something to zero in on. But like I am also disabled. And once some something figure that out, there are a lot of memes about me and like the way like the things about me being disabled that are not cool not ideal would prefer that they wouldn't go in on that but it's just like they'll find anything i think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of white dudes like cis white dudes in this space who are doing great work but they just uh, like you said i think there's just a part of it that they are not going to be they they're not gonna be able to grasp the enormity of the awfulness because they're it's harder for them to be targeted in that way Mm -hmm. because like that's not yeah it's harder for like an Andy Go or any of these jagoffs to go after like some white dude named I don't know whatever Mark than it is to go after a Talia or a me or like let alone a journalist of color or a black journalist yeah. like mm-hmm. the 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 deck is stacked no matter what mm-hmm. it's because they're always punching down yeah exactly and you can't let them is I talk me and uh, Talia and I have like a little we have like a little DM chat with other women. And, you know, non-binary people who do this kind of research and this work, we kind of support each other and look out for each other. That's usually how I find out that Andy goes fucking tweeted about me. But there's, Mm -hmm. we talk about a lot, is like how impossible it is to allow yourself to show your own humanity and to show any weakness. Like, Mm -hmm. you can't let them know that it got to you because they'll keep doing it or they'll keep hammering that point or they'll feel like they had a win. So we, you feel like you have to present yourself as this sort of like this immobile emotionless force because otherwise once they find out that you're actually like a scared human being it's gonna go even worse so it's like there's a lot of stress around that too like you can't even a lot of people don't understand this specific kind of traumatic thing you know like it's hard i have so many friends who aren't in this world or just old friends who I'm like oh yeah the nazis are mad at me online again they're like oh my god just like don't read the comments like Honey, <laughs> I know, but like, eh, if you just ignore them, them, they'll go away. Yeah, like, where, I, <laughs> you know, sage I, advice I from people who've never dealt with that. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. the amount of times I've heard, "Don't read the comments," or like, "Oh, just ignore them. Don't give them oxygen." I'm like, yeah, well, if I ignore them, like, they're still gonna take the oxygen, mm-hmm. yeah. and they're gonna do something bad with it. I love mm-hmm. knowing that there is a secret DM list of you all supporting each other. That makes me yeah. feel so nice on the inside. I should, yeah. Yeah, I should bring you in, honestly. But <laughs> oh yes, please. There's a couple of them because it is hard to find. Even you know, it is hard to find spaces in. It is hard. It's hard to find spaces that kind of understand and allow for this specific kind of. I guess it really is trauma. It's traumatic. Mm-hmm. It is even in the journalism world. Like I would put yeah. it. Mm, like even report. Like I don't even report very often on this stuff. I'm just kind of in the orbit because it's like that's the political view i'm coming from so like everything i write is inherently anti-fascist because like that's my whole deal but Mm -hmm. like the people that are actually like getting in there into the depths and doing this intense reporting like the amount of shit they go through 
it is just it, it's unfathomable to me and i've been through you know a little bit more than the average bear mm-hmm. and also like <laughs> having to having to personally like wade through the cesspools to do the reporting is an entirely different kind of trauma too it really mm-hmm. is i mean even like, I've, I've only come across a couple little things here and there and they've like struck fear into my heart like especially when uh like sometimes when they'll that like i end up on like achan or whatever the fuck and they are talking about my partner and like he's black so you can imagine the mm-hmm. kaleidoscopic horror of things that i've seen them write about the person i love and who i feel like i need to protect because i do this stuff and i'm always worried that i'm putting him at risk it's mm-hmm. i mean he's yeah. he's like tough as nails like old school rash guy but still mm-hmm. i know exactly what you mean yeah it's yeah if you feel like you can't even protect yourself sometimes so how are we going to protect everybody else yeah my when my my girlfriend was arrested at a protest a couple years ago and when they doxed me they found her mugshot photo and so they had her legal name and posted that as well as all my work info and um she's not even involved in politics at all and actually like it's sometimes a point of contention with us because she does feel like i put her at risk and i do and so um then when like her worst fear actually happened which has always been that like something like that would happen it was i felt this enormous guilt and responsibility yeah, I don't even, I mean, I don't post photos of him online. I've never typed his name. Like, he's, it's funny because he's so much tougher than I am. <laughs> like, I'm like the soft little, like, goth housefrau of the two of us. But I'm the one that's, like, getting all this, ter- like, attention online. And he's like, if you want a guy who will fuck up some Nazis, I got a guy for you. But he's the one I'm worried about protecting. So it's it's a funny dynamic. So he, But he, yeah. he gets it. So I'm, I'm glad to have that support, even though I'm consumed by worry that something bad might happen to him because i couldn't stop tweeting or something you know mm-hmm. i do yeah whenever whenever people get shit for like wanting to be anonymous doing adjacent work you're just like exhibit one through ten thousand forty five of why because it's not just about yourself either you know what i mean it's like you say it's about like family members and other people you know in your orbit who you like don't want to be subjecting that to my god a couple of years ago i invested in like uh, delete me or one of, you know one of those to like go through yeah. all those white pages and like get my address off like my actual address isn't anywhere in, in the internet i moved around a lot but there was one that was on there that was on all those white pages before i, I got that service and it was my grandparents address Oof. and that was something that it killed me but also <laughs> Uh, that was, I mean, that was back when my granddad was still alive. And uh, the thought of like somebody showing up at their house to try to talk shit about me or try to scare them. And then my granddad was like a six foot four ex Marine with a shaved head and like more guns than God himself. <laughs> and I was like, man, I kind of wish one of them would try it because they're not leaving. <laughs> but that's not, not everyone has that kind of grandpa, you know? <laughs> Yeah, there was like a local person that Andy no doxxed after the whole milkshake thing who like they were calling that person's like family in other states and like harassing like Ugh. people that they had gone to school with in other states because they'd somehow found connections to them on the internet. That's horrific. Like, don't call my mom. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even call my mom. Is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like the web. Yeah, it's never just one person. Like it reverberates out through an entire family, an entire community. It just makes you feel like everyone you've ever spoken to is now a little bit less safe for having known you. And that mm-hmm. is, it's a heavy burden to bear when you think about it. Like yep. it makes you think like, should I still do this? Should I pull back? It's, 
I mean, that's why they do these things because they don't want us to do this work. Mm -hmm. They don't want us to like present this analysis. They don't want us to tell people who they are. And so our silence is their goal. Our Mm -hmm. silence is, I mean, and the most charitable interpretation, our silence is our goal for a lot of them our complete disappearance from the earth by whatever means necessary is the goal. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's why I, I keep yapping, I guess, even though I do worry all the time so much about everything and everyone. I feel like, well, you want me to shut up. So go fuck yourself. I'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, yeah. fuck out of here. <laughs> you can't scare mm-hmm. me. You're just a shitty bully. I got guns too. Fucking mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> And I think that that is like the struggle and that is the important part is like, it is constantly a thing of like, you, you struggle between like, okay, I'm tired and it's time and I just need to give in or let go or whatever versus like, I can't not let them win, but I can't back down because then it feels like they've won something. Yeah, and I feel like I don't even do as much of this. I mean, I don't write so much about this stuff anymore. Not in like a, I don't write about it anymore kind of way. Just I like my labor stuff and regular work has kind of taken precedence, especially because I've been hustling so hard during lockdown. And also there's just people who are, who know more and who are better at this stuff than I am. You know, I'm just, there are people who are like very good anti-fascist journalisms who cover anti-fascism. And I'm an anti-fascist journalist who writes about a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So like there are people who should, who are much better at this than I am. Like I dip my toe in here and there, but even like those little toe toe taps, it's like, that's caused so much chaos and so much stress. It's like tweeting about Willem Vance Bronson, rest in power. Like I got a, a primetime Fox fascist screaming about me. And I got like fired from a job and lost another freelance gig. And I'm not even like, <sighs> I don't do anything yeah. that cool. Most of the time I just talk about strikes and shit. Like, if they do that to me, imagine somebody else who's, like, more engaged and more prolific in this particular field is dealing with. Like, like you said, talk to Talia. My mm-hmm. God, the amount of the horror that that poor sweet angel has been through. But, you know, she's still here and I'm still here and a lot of yeah. us are still here. So that's something, you know? Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. And I think part of it is, like, what we kind of, like, you were talking about this group you have. And I think that it is that we have a strong community and we really support each other. And like, we all kind of, those of us that are doing this work and those of us that know what it's like kind of support each other. And I feel like that is one of the things that at least for me helps me keep doing this stuff and keep going is because like, it also at times allows us to take breaks. Cause it's like, we know other people are going to take like, you know, pick up the ball and run with it. And then the next week it'll be me. And so um, I think having a sense yeah. of community and building that community is really the best like thing that I can do for my resilience. It is. And, you know, that is a, a huge edge that we have on them because, you know, these far right freaks, they're constantly eating themselves alive mm-hmm. and turning on one another and backstabbing one another. Like they don't have it's not a community. It's just a loose collection of misfit assholes. Yes. Like no one's going to have they're not going to have each other's backs. They're all out for themselves and their particular mm-hmm. twisted version of a different fucked up ideology. Like yeah. Andy Go doesn't have any friends. No, I was he thinking has, about that earlier we talking about it. Yeah. Like no one, if he if something actually happened to him, who's gonna have his back? Mm-hmm. Not like none of the like I think the people that are in his orbit, like the other far right dickheads, like they would probably cheer his downfall because that opens up more room for them. You know, yeah. it's all like just a fucked up grift. Unless mm-hmm. I can, po- unless I can profit off of it. Exactly. Like none of them. 
if these people had friends, they wouldn't be Nazis. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's true. But I mean, like, even like when they get arrested and stuff, it's not like they have each other's back. There's no jail support. They don't like show up and help each other. They don't have fundraisers to get each other out of like jail. They don't have that kind of network of support that happens when bad no. things happen. They just no, kind of like just abandon each other. It's the folly of that sort of individualist, like, American, like, oh, I gotta mm. take mine, take mine, and, you know, just, like, all that misplaced, uh, well, I mean, just that bullshit machismo, and just, like, mm-hmm. the inherent, you know, inhumanity of fascist politics, and the fact that you don't actually care about anyone who isn't exactly like you. It's just, it doesn't leave very much room for growing community or having any kind of empathy towards anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's why, I mean, that's why they attract so many people who are terrible it's also why they're always tearing themselves apart and you know it's it's fun to watch but i would just prefer that they would fuck off entirely myself (laughs) yeah that's that's something that strikes me really hard when looking at timelines from folks like no you see literally 14 15 posts in a row railing against black lives matter and anti-fascists and other folks that you know he portrays as the enemy and then you look at anti-fascists that are villainized and folks on the left who are trying to build community and you see like just you know incredible work happening you know you see people manufacturing hand sanitizer and cooking food for each other and all this incredible mutual aid and support work and i just like just I mean, just look at the fucking facts. You know what I mean? Like, the contrast couldn't be clearer. If anti-fascists were as dangerous as he thinks we are, we would have already had the revolution. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like I'm just saying. Okay. It's like all that, like, bonkers boomer rhetoric about all oh, the Democrats, like, they want to, def- like, abolish the police and abolish the border and, like, like yeah, yes, and, and, like, if the Democrats were as if the Democrats were what the Republicans think the Democrats were, I'd be a fucking Democrat. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> imagine. Uh, <laughs> God, that's going to come back to haunt me. <laughs> oh, no, that's so real. Oh, that's perfect. Perfect. It's the thing, though. It's like there's just, like, no reality. It's like if Andy ever met somebody, if you, like, I don't know, like, maybe if she, he just went on a date with somebody who was an anti-fascist and they didn't talk about politics, he would, I mean, I don't think there's any humanity left in that guy, but it's just, like, mm-hmm. things like that, where it's, like, who the who they think we are is just so absurd and blown out of proportion and theatrical. It's mm-hmm. just, like, the fact that they believe it, or at least they are trying to sell it, there's a, there's just an element of farce to it, because it's, like, that's, you know, like, that's silly. Like, that's silly as fuck. But all these racist old boomers believe it, and a bunch of those racist old boomers are the government, and so here we are. Here we are. Ridiculous state of affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there was there was a choice tweet I think from Socialist Dog Wong where it was like, you know, uh, you know, look what they think anti-fascists are doing, and then it's just like crazy like Armageddon s picture of like destruction, and then like the second was like, you know, wiener dogs dressed up in costumes for Halloween. <laughs> God bless Molly Conjure. Yeah, I, I talk to Molly every day too. She's oh nice. Yeah, God bless, God bless those puppies. But yeah, but uh, so, it's like these people are putting in so much work to paint us as these like abs- like these uh, maniacs, like violent, dangerous, destructive, 
cruel, chaotic agents of horror. But like, we're just trying to make sure everyone gets fed and like has a nice time. Yes. Like, <laughs> it's fucked. Uh, it's like the whole like like mass freak out over anarchists and anarchism that happened this year too because Trump learned a new word. Like. Yeah. Like, how are you going to be that mad about an ideology that is inherently, in many ways, utopian? Like, we yeah. just want everyone to be okay and have a nice time. Yeah. It's pretty simple. And yet, that's yeah. what scares you the most. Like, there that's telling, a, my dudes. <laughs> like, the PPB, the Portland Police Bureau, loves to post pictures of the things that they confiscate at rallies. And they're always, like, kind of, like, unintentionally hilarious. Because it'll be like, mm. look at all this contraband we, like, you know confiscated for my family yeah and the last time it involved a zine on communalism was one of the pieces of like contraband that they like oh no meetings i tweeted a picture of it and i was like oh my god like i would love to know the thought process that went into like including that in their picture of contraband because first of all i'm sure they thought it was communism they probably didn't even recognize the difference but even so that that zine was considered like something dangerous I mean, Lucy Parsons was more dangerous than the Thousand Rioters, mm-hmm. you know, getting these these messages out there. It's kind of it's, you know, it's one of our greatest weapons, mm-hmm. even if the cops are out here, st- out here stealing zines, which is like extremely rude on top of everything <laughs> else they do. Like, someone was out there like cutting and gluing and you're just going to take their shit. My God. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, raising real. a barn. <laughs> well and clearly well, it didn't even yeah. bother to read it <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah god it's just it's it's funny and terrifying at the same time that so many people believe this bizarre distorted reality and there's no off switch and the andy goes of the world are just like they just keep i don't know fucking with the fuse box and supercharging that shit and it's gonna burn someone hopefully it's him but i have a feeling it's gonna be more of us hmm. Maybe first, but... You know, I mean, a girl can dream. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. In Minecraft. (laughs) (laughs) This will get myself in trouble. (laughs) No. I mean, I... Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah, no. Um, It's funny because... I'm a nice lady, but everyone gets so mad at me on the internet. It's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i think the nicest people are the ones that everybody comes after on the internet let's be real right? like man i'm out here trying to bake cookies and like i don't know i'm, I'm pretty nice i got a fucked up accent and some crazy ideas but i'm the person you're gonna obsess over and tweet about and make out to be some like wacky ass terrorist like i literally have <laughs> pigtails right now jesus <laughs> the face of anarchist terror is coming at you yeah. pigtails my God! <laughs> <laughs> little Debbie over here, Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> little Debbie's anti-fun now, I guess. Uh, of course, she would be. Uh, <laughs> so, sorry, uh, I took that right off the rails. <laughs> no, no, I, I am so I am here for it. I like just um, it is my first day off, and I don't even want to tell you how many days. And um, so I started drinking uh, an hour ago, and I'm. Everything is hilarious to me at this point. I'm hitting that giggly point. So love that for you. <laughs> I am hungover, so we're doing great. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Respectable ass journalist Kim Kelly, hungover. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to Antifa. 
on oh brand. <laughs> the brand remains very strong. <laughs> I guess I guess when people listen to this, they're not going to know what time of day we recorded this. So maybe they think that I started drinking in the evening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's five it's o'clock five somewhere, somewhere. man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so to close on things like far 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 more pleasant than uh, fast adjacent pseudo-journalist provocateur Andy No and the joy of a midday buzz um (laughs) can you like we like to give people a chance to also like promote themselves and I know that you're working on a book and um so if you want to talk a little bit about your soon-to-be-published book or we could just talk about how much drinking tea is like (laughs) the core of (laughs) self-care oh my god there's two thoughts (laughs) um the book, the tea thing is helping with the stress of the book thing. Um, my book, my book is um well, it's not out until twenty twenty two because I have to write it. Turns uh, out that's part of the whole deal. Ridiculous, if you ask me. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've just been doing research for the past couple of months. But I'm gonna you know put my little nose to the grindstone after the holidays and all that and start scribbling. But it's uh, it's called Fight Like Hell. The working subtitle is um an unladylike history of labor in the U S. Oh which fuck is yeah. like a Mother Jones callback. Shout out to yes. my girl. <laughs> I love it. It's, the idea is very simply um, it's, uh, an accessible and intersectional, like marginalized people's history of labor in this country. Like, uh-huh. obviously, I'm not going to be able to hit everything, but there's so many. So I have I'm a labor reporter and I'm also a giant nerd. So I have a ton of labor books hmm. and some of them are really readable and really fun. And some of them, also exist and, <laughs> and a lot of them a lot of them are written by like older academic white dudes who are very smart and good and their work is important but there's a lot of stories and voices that i feel like are missing mm-hmm. in these sort of can, uh, canonical labor tomes yeah. and i've always been more interested in like like if we're gonna if we're gonna write about the you know, farm workers and the delano strike uh, grape strike like i want to hear yeah, I, I want to hear about the women who are out there. I want to hear about mm-hmm. like the Filipino organizers who are working with mm. the Mexican organizers. Like, I want to hear about the people who aren't ending up in these labor books, not through any fault of their own, but just because they're not the easy, immediate go-to. Like, a labor book is going to be full of coal miners, and that is good and important, but it should also be full of sex workers and garment workers and mm-hmm. incarcerated workers yeah. and like workers who aren't documented. Like, all the kind of stories that I try to tell with my freelance work. I'm going to try and like kind of switch it together into a, like a book that you can, that's fun to read. Cause I like to have fun. It's the kind of thing that I would hope you would stick in your back pocket on your way to like a strike or to a protest or to a meeting. Yeah. Like, cause I think so many people in this country through no fault of their own is because our education system is garbage. Like don't know a working class history or labor history or know yeah. what a union is or what a strike is or why it matters or how they fit into that. Because the the image of the working class that the majority of the media in this country push is just guys like my dad, white guy in a hard hat, who is walking around a circle for some reason. <laughs> and those guys are there, and they're great. Shout out to you, dad. But there's so many other people who are who make up the working class in this country, and they have so many interesting contributions and stories and dramas and conflicts. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what I like to write about. So. That's what I'm trying to make into a book. And I think it will be fun and it will probably make my brain melt. But I think it'll work out okay. <laughs> and I will well, that's we're super excited to yes. check it out. It sounds amazing. And like 
I'm especially like I, I actually just joined a union for the first time in my life. We actually we made we made our union. Oh um, yeah. Maybe I'll edit this out later, but Ooh. oh my god, yeah. the and we're my girl. And, and we we like we join specifically because we're like, oh, these people are just straight up fucking like. Well, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but they had like you know they had a platform where they were directly calling on to like eject you know police from you know the parent union yes. so like they're, they're just they're mm-hmm. rad as fuck and I, i'm super excited about it and i'm really proud to be a fucking union member at this That's point phenomenal i love that obsess she is oh i was at work we're in the process of uh negotiating our first contract and mm. um it is a fucking nightmare because my employer is like notorious for union busting and is actually mm-hmm. like there was a whole scandal a couple years ago where they were negotiating with like a different because i work in a huge uh organization there's multiple unions within my institution mm-hmm. and one of the other groups that was unionizing one of the people on the bargaining team for my institution had like created a bunch of fake twitter profiles with like incredibly select sexually suggestive and explicit names and was harassing the like members of the bargaining team um for the union Jesus. on twitter and they ended oh up figuring God. out who it was. Yeah. And so, like, my institution has this terrible history and uh, is well known for, like, union busting and, like, just being totally a pain in the ass. And while, like, I love the people that volunteered to be on our negotiating team, which was before I got there. Otherwise, I would have been on it. <laughs> None of them have really done this kind of work. And they just keep giving things up. Mm. And the, the current iteration of our contract is... Every time that I get an email, it's like, everything's great. Here's the like five more things we let them have back. I'm just, uh, so I'm now in the process of like organizing some of my fellow employees to like try to push our bargaining team to not be afraid to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, because I feel like if we end up with this like wimpy milk toast contract as our first contract, it is going to set a terrible precedent. It's hard to go back, though. I will say, if it's something that helps a little bit, when I was at Vice, when we negotiated our first contract, we actually, you know, Just Cause is a huge deal. At the time, we didn't really understand it, and we didn't really fight for it. Our first contract didn't have Just Cause, because we figured, since we're in this creative workplace, and we there were specific bosses, you know, management we were thinking of at the time, like, well, we want it to be, we want the company to be able to let people go without going through a whole thing just because they're assholes mm-hmm. that happened to one of my bosses there mm-hmm. but he wasn't even covered under the contract so i'm not we didn't we didn't quite know what we were doing we did our best but it was like baby's first contract but then in the second contract we got just cause and we got a lot of really important protections like we definitely mm. stepped it up in the second one so i don't mm. just as like a little inspiring note like it's, yeah. <laughs> having like a squishy first contract doesn't mean that they're going to be squishy forever. Like it means that, but you might have like uh, a squish. It think of it like a, a a firing, like a first volley, like a first <laughs> shot across the bow. That doesn't mean you're going to lose the war. I appreciate that. <laughs> also, oh. really, I blanked on Cesar Chavez's name earlier because I'm a hungover dummy. So my apologies to <laughs> Mr. Chavez. Good lord. <laughs> you're all good. Seriously, Kim, I thank you so much for taking the time with us yes. today. It is like such a pleasure to talk to all the people who we like have so much respect for and who are our favorites and finding out they're all friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It all goes down in the DMs. Like <laughs> DMs are <laughs> without DMs, I feel like yeah, this whole movement will fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thanks. Uh, so thanks, too. Jack. I guess. Oh. <laughs> well, have a wonderful day and enjoy some tea. Oh my yes. god! Yeah, it's 
It's going to be a green tea night. I definitely went a little hard on the whiskey last night because it's the end of the world and nothing matters. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Concrete Milkshake. Our intro and outro music is The Movement by Mike Crenshaw, who is a local hip-hop artist from Portland, Oregon, and a local treasure. He's also been recently doing a podcast called It Did Happen Here, which is amazing and definitely worth checking out. You can find all of his information at MikeCrenshaw.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Despite their mental illness, quite resilient Fight with wit and write this real shit Volatility Low civility, don't let vulnerability Lower your agility This moment is pivotal Crucial, critical, our opponent is intentional Brutally criminal, to be truthful Our response has been useful and pitiful Community defense happens when we control the city Though perversity, thirstily Worshiping emergencies, a constant state of urgency Crisis creates currency, mass murder and the mayhem Massacres and strife, manufacturing the chaos The fascist racist right, merchants peddle weaponry And sell it to all sides, no guarantee with no tranquility After we all die, hostility and anger killing me They commit atrocities Plausible deniability We must achieve the impossible Believe in our abilities I'ma look to you and me Not Hollywood or Hillary Politicians and police Gatekeeping bourgeoisie Liberation's closer than you think But y'all ain't really feeling me It's time to think fast The movement Learn lessons from our past The movement Organize the class The movement Solidarity that lasts The movement it's time to think fast, the movement Learn lessons from our past, the movement Organize the class, the movement Solidarity at last, the movement Y'all will say we know about that But what about the love, what about the good lord In the heavens up above, the heavens up above They are inside of you, don't forget about the essence Of the message tried and true, and to the hell below We have access to that too, depending on what you know How you think what you do I'm posted on the radius Doing surveillance with my crew Through the phone and from the drone They spy on me and you Oh, you think you cool? They spying on you too I know you think I'm a fool But they spying on you too So what you gonna do? What we gonna do? What you gonna do? What we gonna do? It's time to think fast The movement Learn lessons from my past The movement Organize the class The movement Solidarity at last, the movement hey, yo, It's time to think fast, the movement Learn lessons from our past, the movement Organize the class, the movement Solidarity at last, the movement Yo, they blasted on a park right before it got dark I saw the muzzle flash out the window flying sparks Fuck the snitches and the narcs, debating about marks They aiming at our children, hit a baby in the heart Code of silence Promoting violence, there's a science Self-sufficient, self-reliance Efficient and defiant Cheaters, lepers, lions One of us gets hit well Three of them are dying, self-control Erosion of my soul PTSD, test me, I won't give up before our goals Protect our families, communities and homes As to whether we find peace, well, that remains unknown It's time to think fast, the movement Learn lessons from our past, the movement 
Organize the class, the movement. Solidarity at last, the movement. Hey, yo, it's time to think fast, the movement. The lessons from my past, the movement. Organize the class, the movement. Solidarity at last, the movement. Time to think fast, the movement. Learn lessons from my past, the movement. Organize the class, the movement. Solidarity at last, the movement. It's time to think fast, the movement. Learn lessons from my past, the movement. Organize the class, the movement. Solidarity at last, the movement.